We're resuming our series on the book of Romans called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. Now, last time I told you that, that if I had to choose one biblical book that the church needs to rediscover today, it's the book of Romans. And the reason is, in Romans, Paul says, the gospel is not some lame, weak, impotent message. Rather, the true gospel is the sovereign power of God that brings us salvation. Those who are unrighteous through the gospel become the righteousness of God. Those who are ungodly become God's people. Those who have no hope, those who have no power, find power and hope in the gospel. Through the gospel, the blind shall see, the slaves set free, and the dead are raised back to life and glory. If you think you know the gospel, but you haven't experienced that power in your life, Paul says you don't really know the gospel yet. So what is the gospel? Well, one key theme that Paul keeps bringing up is God's righteousness in the gospel. Now, when we talk about God's righteousness, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? My guess is most people picture God sitting as a judge rewarding the good and punishing the evil. Now, Paul talks about God's judgment, and he tells us what to expect upon divine judgment. Listen to what he says in chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do himself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent, because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure 
that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth? You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, that passage is kind of sobering and kind of hurts, doesn't it? Clearly, Paul isn't trying to be a motivational speaker here. But it hurts because it's true. And the truth is what we need today. So what does Paul tell us to consider upon divine judgment? Three things. He tells us that obedience is examined, that outward religion is not enough, and that a new heart is needed. Three things. First of all, Paul tells us that obedience is examined. Back in chapter 1, if you remember, Paul gives us a profound analysis of what's wrong with the world. He describes to us how humanity rejected God and as a result ended up with idolatry and eventually led to all kinds of immorality and vices. It even says that they give approval to those who practice them. They celebrate sin. They enjoy doing sin. So, you can imagine, as people were reading this letter, as we are right now, there must be some Bible-believing church people who were nodding along and saying, yes, amen, preach it, Paul. That's what's wrong with the world. It's those ungodly, immoral people. It's those people who hate the truth. God's going to judge them one day. Which is why it's so interesting that in the very next verse, Paul turns around to those same people and he tells them, you're absolutely right. God's going to judge them, but so will he judge you. You're also guilty. You're no better off. Why? Because you, even though you pass judgment on those things, you practice the very same things. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What things, Paul? Because the Bible-believing church people in this case are the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people, they're not living immoral lives like the other pagans. No. Most of them are trying to obey the law of God. 
What things, Paul? What are they doing? Well, Paul's thinking about the list that he gave in chapter 1, verse 29 to 30. And he talks there about things like envy, like malice, covetousness, deceit. So Paul is not just thinking about outward behavior. He's also talking about the inward secret things of the heart. Because God's not going to judge only what our hands do and what our mouth says. God's also looking and examining the secret motives and attitudes of the heart. And Paul says, whether you're irreligious or religious, both of you are going to be judged. Essentially, there's no difference. And the Bible says we're all lost. We're all sinners. We all deserve to die. And so Paul is saying there's essentially no difference even though you're the most religious person on earth. Why? Because in verse 6, Paul says, God's going to render to each one according to his works. So it's about what you do, not what you say. It's your works, not your words. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you think you should do. It's not about your beliefs. It's about what you actually do. How are you truly obeying from the heart? See, Paul is saying it's one thing to believe and even strongly feel about one thing. It's another to actually obey from the heart. You can talk about the truth. You can sing about the truth. You can recite the truth. But if you do not obey the truth, but you obey unrighteousness, then you're no better off. Because God's going to set aside all your religiosity, all your moral standards, and He's going to examine at what you actually did. It doesn't matter how religious you are, because God shows no partiality. So you can say all you want about sin, but God's going to look whether you repented from sin. You can talk all day about the Bible. You can post scriptures across your social media and you can teach Bible all day long, but God's going to look at your obedience of the Bible. God's going to look at what you actually did, whether you actually obeyed from the heart. He's looking at your motives, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. That's what matters. Do you think when that judgment comes, you will be considered righteous? Can anyone? Well, the Bible says there's no one righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. No amount of religion is going to help you. No, no being religious can save you. And deep down, we know this. We know this. That's why many of us go to church, because we want to feel better about our eternal prospects. But Paul warns us, number two, that outward religion is not enough. See, Paul's main point in this passage is that you cannot rely on religion to save you, to make you righteous before God. You can't rely on religion. Why? 
Because religion can tell you what sin is, but it can't make you repent from sin. Religion can tell you what you should do, but religion can't make you obey from the heart. Religion can sort of enforce externally a compliance to a certain kind of behavior, but it will never change your heart. And notice, by the way, Paul's not talking about a wrong kind of religion. Paul's talking to Jewish people, so he's talking about the religion of Judaism. They are worshiping the true God. They're observing the Holy Scriptures. So it's not a matter of whether you got the right or wrong religion. Paul is saying, no amount of religion, whether you got it right, can make you truly righteous before God. See, for one thing, Paul says that even spiritual religious roots are not enough. See, he's talking to the Jewish people here who had a special religious heritage. God made a covenant with Israel. He had chosen to make a covenant with the people of Israel. And the Jews at that time, they had a very strong sense of that special relationship. They were the chosen people. They had the law of God. They had the circumcision given by God. And therefore, they felt safe. They felt righteous when God's judgment comes. See, they saw themselves as, as a guide, as a teacher, as a light. And in one sense, that was true because God had indeed called Israel to be a light to the wider world and draw the nations into the true God. But Paul says, even if you had the most special spiritual heritage, if you're not obeying, then it means nothing. It's not a hard thing to see why that should make us examine ourselves. We live in a Christian country. Many of us grew up in Christian homes, Christian schools, Christian communities. Maybe you even grew up in Sunday school, joining all kinds of church activities. And those are great things. Those are great spiritual heritage, great spiritual roots. But don't mistake that to be your own. You cannot rely on those things to make you righteous before God. As great as those things are, even though you have very rich, very deep spiritual roots, as long as you're not obeying, then something crucial is missing. Because obviously, you're still under sin. And you cannot face God's judgment like that. Another thing that Paul warns us is that even religious spiritual knowledge is not enough. See, the Jews have the law of God. When God made a covenant with Israel, He also gave them the law through Moses, which is why we call it the law of Moses. Now, the law was special. No other nation in the world had them, only Israel. And the law taught Israel what God's moral standard is. They taught God's moral will. So Israel knew better than anyone else what God wanted people to do. They had this special knowledge. But Paul says, it is not the hearers of the law who are justified, but the doers. No matter how much you know about the scriptures, no matter how much you know about God's will, if you're not obeying from the heart, then it means nothing. That means 
You can read and study the Bible every day. You can know it back and forth. But if you're not obeying, it's nothing. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do. God's not going to examine your theological knowledge. God's going to examine your obedience. And therefore, look, as important and crucial as it is to study the Scriptures for yourself, as much as I love the Scriptures, I want you to know that it's not enough to just know. You can have the, the most rich spiritual knowledge, but if you're not obeying, something is missing. You're obviously still under sin. You can't face God's judgment like that. And lastly, Paul warns us again that even religious participation is not enough. See, the Jews had this special religious ritual. It's a circumcision. When God made a covenant with Abraham and eventually Israel, God said, I want you to be circumcised as a sign of our covenant relationship. So the circumcision was a sign of that special covenant relationship. It was a special sign that, there, that Israel could participate in to be in covenant with God, right? But Paul says, if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. That means even if you took part in some religious, spiritual, special thing, if you're not obeying, then it means nothing. So you can be as regular as you can be with church. You can be baptized. You can partake of the Lord's Supper. You can attend life group, journey group, and all these kinds of fellowships, but it will mean nothing if you're not obeying from the heart. See, as wonderful and as important as those things are, they are. They're wonderful. But if you're not obeying, then obviously something is missing. You're under sin. And you can't face God's judgment like that. So in the end, we are left with this big question mark. Because if Paul tells the Jews who had a special covenant relationship with God, who had special knowledge through the law, who had a special participation with the covenant through circumcision, if they had all that and yet they're unable to obey from the heart. Something crucial is missing for them. What chance do we have? Nothing. Because no amount of outward religion can make us obey God from the heart. Nothing. No amount of religion can do that. And therefore, we need something greater than religion. We need something greater than the law. We need a new heart. Now here's how Paul concludes this whole section. Paul says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. These outward external things are not what makes you into a real Jew, into a real people of God. Those are just outward external things. But a real Jew is one inwardly. It's a circumcision of the heart. Now, that's not a new idea. The Jews understood where Paul was referring to. 
Paul was thinking about Deuteronomy 30. Even back in the earliest days of Israel, God was already talking to Israel about a circumcision of the heart. Here's what it says there. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. God told Abraham that in order to enter into a covenant relationship with him, he had to be circumcised, and so did Israel. Now, have you ever wondered what's the big deal with circumcision? What does it all symbolize? Why did they have to do it that way? Well, here's why. Back in those days, to enter into a binding contract relationship with someone, they had no papers to sign. What they did was they acted out the curse of breaking that covenant. So for instance, if I wanted to make a covenant with someone, for instance, I might cut an animal in, in half and I might walk between those pieces and I will say, if I fail to fulfill my obligations to this covenant, then may I be cut into pieces like this animal. When God told Abraham to be circumcised, he was saying, Abraham, to enter into a covenant relationship with me, you need to be circumcised. That means you accept that if you fail to fulfill your obligations, you're going to be cut off. And so Abraham gets circumcised, and so did his son and, his, and that son, and eventually the descendants who are the Israelites, they all got circumcised. But if you read through the Bible, even just once, even just superficially, you quickly understand that none of these people actually fulfilled the covenant. None of them obey the law of God. And that was exactly Paul's point. You Jews have the circumcision, but no one's obeying. You're all supposed to be cut off. How then can God have any people? No one can obey the law from the heart like that. No one can do what the law requires. How can God have any people at all? How can anyone be considered righteous before God at all? And the answer is you need more than the outward physical circumcision. You need the inward circumcision of the heart. And notice, the outward circumcision of the flesh, it's but done by human hands. But this inward circumcision, it's done by God's hands. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 29. He's saying, you need the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. And the letter refers to the written law of Moses. Now, in the written law of Moses, it does command Israel to get circumcised. Now, Paul is saying, you don't need the circumcision of the letter of the written code of Moses. It's not the physical kind that you need. No amount of religion is going to do it for you. No amount of human effort, no amount of external religion trying to change you is going to do it. It's not going to make you righteous. What you need is a new heart. 
It's for the Spirit of God to come and circumcise that old heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. See, here's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying to his Jewish friends, he's saying, my friends, as a Jew, all your life you've been trying to fulfill what the law requires. You, you have circumcision as a sign of the covenant. But you know something is missing because you know how far you fall short of actually obeying the law. You don't need more law. What you need is a new heart that the Spirit of God can give you. See, Christianity is not about adopting a new religion. It's not about adopting a new moral standard. It's not about singing certain songs, attending fellowships, attending Bible studies. It's not even about fighting for justice and righteousness. It's not about all these things, as important as those are. At its heart, Christianity is about receiving a new heart. It's about a new heart. And unless you have that new heart, no amount of Christian church can do the trick. You won't be righteous. You'll still, you'll still fail. You'll still be unable to genuinely obey God from the heart. And sure, without the new heart, you can do church things. You can try your best to do that. But all you're doing is you're trying to maximize the old heart, but it's still the old sinful heart. What you need is the new heart. Well, how do you get that? How do you get that? Paul is going to talk about that in other chapters in the book of Romans. But let me point you today to another place where Paul answers that. It's, it's, it's in his letter to the Colossian church. And here's what he says. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what is this circumcision of Christ? Well, Paul's talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. And he calls it a circumcision because on the cross, Jesus was cut off. He's cut off the land of the living. He's cut off from God's loving presence. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus took the curse when we broke the law. When we broke the law of God. It says there, in him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, in Christ, this new circumcision is no longer human effort. It's no longer human hands. It's the divine hand who does it for you. God comes to circumcise your heart. And in Christ, you have that new heart. See, if you've been attending church for the longest time, or maybe you're new, and you find that you're unable to just genuinely love God, you still find yourself unable to genuinely obey God from the heart. Here's what you need. You need the new heart. It's not more church. It's not more religion. It's not more Bible studies. What you need is a new heart. And the way to get that, the Bible says, 
is to be in Him. It's when you surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ and you give it over to be His, that's when God has come to circumcise your heart. I'm not talking about praying some prayer. I'm not even talking about agreeing some, to some doctrinal statements. I'm talking to really surrendering to Christ. Have you done that? Do you have the new heart? It's when you look at Jesus Christ and see how he bore the curse of your sins. That's when God comes to prick your heart. That's when God comes to circumcise and give you a new heart of flesh. And that's where something deep in you changes. And that's where genuine love and faith and obedience from the heart starts to flow. So that now, with that new heart, it's a totally different way that you are obeying God's law. You're no longer looking to outward external religion to sort of enforce obedience, to sort of comply yourself to that. No, it's not external pressure. It's an inward desire. And it's the love of Christ inside you, slowly melting and compelling you to obey. Do you have that new heart? Do you know what I'm talking about? See, when you have that new heart, Here's what happens when you struggle with sin. When you struggle with sin, you can look to Jesus Christ. And when you look to Jesus Christ, you're looking at him not with an old heart anymore, but with a new heart. It's not a heart that is unaffected, indifferent to Jesus Christ on the cross. No, it's a new heart that's tender. And it looks at Jesus Christ with that tenderness, with the heart of flesh, and you're cut to the heart, and you say, oh my Lord, how could I grieve you with my sins? No more, no more. I want to please you, my God, my Savior. That's the new heart that you and I need. Then and only then can we truly love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and obey Him from the heart. That's what happens when you have the new heart. You're no longer under sin. You're under Christ. And being under Christ makes all the difference in the world when God's judgment comes. Do you have that new heart? Or are you still relying on an external religion to make you righteous? Come here the gospel once more. Take up Christ and believe and rejoice for He is the power of God for salvation. Let's pray. Our Lord, You who are compassionate and kind, slow to anger, you did not destroy us in our sins, but you gave us Jesus Christ. Lord, help us see through all the illusions, all these religious structures, Lord, and to see that we need a new heart, 
that only you and you alone through your spirit can give us, can carve out in our hearts. Lord, some of us don't know that. I pray today a new heart would be theirs. Lord, for those of us who know this, help us, Father, to continue walking by the Spirit, to continue relying on you, to continue surrendering to you, to continue coming to you, Lord, each and every day, so that we may genuinely obey you from the heart. Father, we thank you for surrounding us with such rich heritages and scriptures and, and religious uh, programs and activities, Lord, to help us grow that new heart. Father, we pray that you would use those things to foster obedience from the heart. Lord, we come here praying for our nation. We pray for justice. We pray for truth. We pray for righteousness. We pray for kindness. We pray for unity. We pray, Lord, for integrity among our leaders. Father, help us. Give us hope. Give us strength. Give us comfort. And we pray, Lord, in all these things, we would honor you as we love our neighbors and our enemies in all that we do, just as you loved us. So thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that you find God's strength this week. God bless you.